All right, thank you once again. I've enjoyed being here so far. Enjoyed Sunday school. Uh, my wife was pointing at your pianist, and uh, when she was playing, we're in need of pianists. I know the Bible says in Ephesians 4 that him that stole the steal no more, but we would love to steal you. I think God will make an exception there for us. But uh, thank you for the good music and for the pardon. Oh, amen. For the, all the special as well. You know, I remember Brother Patcher's ordination. Brother Class called me and said, would you be on an ordination committee? I said, I'd love to. And, and what he did, there were six of us preachers that were on that particular ordination board uh, with Dave Class as well. And he asked us to speak on what we thought was important for Pastor Jim and the ministry. And he gave one man uh, prayer, one man another particular subject, and he gave me the Bible. And uh, I thought that was just the perfect thing for me. So I just encouraged Brother Jim to make the Bible a priority in his life. And let me encourage you as well. I know we have several Bible readers here. Every place I go, I just preached my son in Las Vegas last month. That's the reason I couldn't come here in January. And uh, just preaching at this church there. And, and I preached on reading the Bible, one particular message there. I have a particular plan I use. It's not for everybody. I tell people that because... Uh, I read my Bible through at least four times a year. Uh, last year, four times. My New Testament, I read through 12 times every year. Uh, the year before, last year, I read my Bible through six times. My New Testament through 12 times, uh, cover to cover. What I do is a, a three-month Bible reading program. Now, there's all kinds of different Bible reading programs that you ought to get and adapt one to your particular reading ability. And, uh, but the one I got was a man, a, a friend of mine that worked for Thomas Nelson Publishing Company way back in the 70s. He got out of the Marine Corps and uh, went to work for Thomas Nelson Publishing Company as a computer analyst for them. And what he did is he took the Bible and broke it down that you would never break up a subject. Lots of times when you're reading, like if you're reading four chapters a day or read your Bible through once a year, you'll break up a story. And you got to come back to that story the next day, and you might break it up again and come back the next day. So what he did, uh, he took the Bible, and he broke it up that you never break a story. Like, I've got this right here. It's just uh, my Bible reading program. You can see where I'm at right now. I'm, in the, I'm reading my Bible through in two months. So I've got, this is all Old Testament. This is New Testament. I finished Ephesians this morning and Job chapter 1 through verse 14. And, but... The first day of the month would be Genesis 1 through 11. So when you read Genesis 1 through 11, you would go from creation uh, to the fall of man uh, to the flood. Then you come right out of the flood. You go right to the tower, uh, to the dispersion of all the of Noah's sons there in Genesis chapter 10. And then you go right into Genesis chapter 11, the Tower of Babel. And then from chapter the next day, chapter 12 to 26, you're going to deal with the call of Abraham right to the aspect of Isaac there. So you never break a story, which is, to me, I, I, I enjoy reading it that way because I really begin to understand the Bible without breaking it up. So that's just my plan, but I just encourage you, whatever your plan is that God lays upon your heart, that you'll take it and that you'll make the Word of God a priority in your life. I was going to preach you something totally different to about 10 minutes ago, and in fact, I'm going to do it in the next service. I'm going to show you why there's the four Gospels. Why do we have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John? I just had someone ask me that question uh, the other day in a Bible study. They said, why, why do we have the four Gospels when they all say basically the same thing? 
I want to show you why we have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John in your Bible and what is so distinctive about them and how they are uh, portrayed in the Old Testament in one particular word. And we'll look at that uh, in the next service to come. But Brother Jim was just taking, uh, talking to you about his house and things of this particular nature, and he made a statement there, and I wasn't going to preach on this, but I'm going to preach on it now. He said, if God closes the door, I hope that he slams the door. Well, let me take you to a passage in the Bible where God slammed the door. Amen? And that's in the book of 1 Chronicles chapter 13. And because sometimes you will find yourself wanting to do something, do something for God that you think is the right thing to do, and all of a sudden God slams the door on what you think is the right thing to do, and that would be a blessing unto the Lord. And that's what happens here in the book of 1 Chronicles chapter 13, dealing with David. And you know, if you read your Bible through, David is a man after God's own heart. He's one of my favorite Old Testament men. I love reading the book of 1 and 2 Samuel. I love the book of Psalms. Uh, Psalm 119 is my favorite chapter uh, in the Bible there. I've got several favorite verses, but Psalm 119, uh, the longest chapter in the Bible, is actually my favorite chapter in the Bible because to me it really shows David's heartbeat uh, toward the Lord God and it shows his heartbeat toward the words of God as well. But here in the book of 1 Chronicles chapter 13, David has the noble idea here of moving the ark back from Kirjath-Jerim uh, to a place that David had prepared for it in Jerusalem. Now, if you know anything about your Bible, and I'm sure you do, in the book of 1 Samuel uh, chapter 4, the ark is taken. And the Israelites are dealing with the Philistines, and they go to battle and uh, 1 Samuel chapter 4, in the first battle, they lose 4,000 men. And as a result of that, they get the idea, we need to send for the Ark of the Covenant there and bring the Ark, and if we have the Ark, we'll be able to go out and win against the Philistines. Well, they go get the Ark, and they put the Ark out in front there, and the next day when they do that, they lose 30,000 people. So the first day without the Ark, they lose 4,000. And then they bring the ark, and they lose 30,000. And not on top of that, they lose the ark to the Philistines. And Hophni and Phinehas are killed in that particular battle. And word comes back to Eli, the priest, that the ark has been taken. And as a result of that, he falls backward and breaks his neck and dies. And you'll find that in 1 Samuel chapter 4, uh, just a whole chapter about the ark and what happened. And then they take the ark, and they place it before their god, Dagon, and the next day they come in, the ark has just fallen flat on his face, and they lift it back. Excuse me, the uh, Dagon has fallen flat on his face. They lift him back up. Uh, next day he, they come back in. He falls back again down. This time he's got his hands cut off, and he's got different parts of his body cut off there. And all of a sudden they are being judged for having the ark, and several things are happening to them, and they're wanting to get rid of this ark just as badly as David wants to get this ark. And so they're passing it from one Philistine country to another Philistine uh, group there. No one wants that because of all the judgments of the Amrods and different things that are taking place with this ark. And so finally they're going to send this thing back on a new cart and uh, with uh, a milch kind there. And all the stuff has just worked out for you in the book of 1 Samuel. So in 1 Chronicles chapter 13, David knows where the ark is at and he wants to bring it back to Jerusalem to the rightful place of which it should be. 
Now, when you stop to think about it, here's David. He's a man after God's own heart. He realizes that the ark, which is a very, very important uh, article there, it was a place that you'll find if you went into the tabernacle or into the temple later on, that you had the, uh, you had the outer court, then you go into the holy place, and between the holy place and the most holy place was a veil there, and inside there was the ark of God and the mercy seat and so forth and so on there. And David wanted to get this back. It was important. He knew it was important. And so he wants to get it back. And he brings this before the church, just like Brother Jim just brought about a love feast. And all of you guys said, yes, let's make it a love feast. Well, David brings here the thing of the ark. He says, hey, guys, let's go get this ark and bring it back to the place there where we know it should be that God would be honored and glorified by it. Now, you think when you're trying to do something that honors and glorifies God, that God would be completely on board with that idea, wouldn't you think? But in this case, God wasn't. And as a result of it, God absolutely shuts the door, slams the door in this particular chapter. And as a result of it, David gets upset with God first and foremost, and then he gets afraid of God because Uzzah gets killed in this particular chapter, who when the, when the oxen stumbles, he reaches up there and steadies the ark, and bam, God kills him. And David cannot understand this thing. And sometimes things happen in our life when we're trying to do something with, for God that we believe is God's perfect will, and it doesn't work out like we hoped it worked out. And we are just like David. We may be frustrated at God. Or we may become afraid of God and say, boy, what am I supposed to do with this thing now? And that's what David was asking. So let's read this chapter here and watch what happens here in, the, in these first 12 verses. And David consulted with the captains of thousands and hundreds and with every leader. So this doesn't was, just wasn't David wanting to do this thing, but he's consulted with all the different people around about him. And they've all come to the same conclusion Let's do it. I mean, they take a vote. It's just a business meeting at a Baptist church there. And all those in favor say aye. It is aye. All those uh, not in favor say aye. There's none. I mean, they are 100% in agreement that this is the thing to do. And he says, and David consulted with the captains of thousands and hundreds and with every leader. And David said unto the congregation of Israel, if it seem good unto you that it be of the Lord our God, let us send abroad unto our brethren everywhere that are left in all the land of Israel, and with them also to the priests and the Levites, which are in their cities and suburbs, that they may gather themselves unto us. And let us bring again the ark of our God to us, for we inquired not of it uh, in the days of Saul. He lost it back then, or Saul was in that particular era. And all the congregations said that they would do so, for the thing was right in the eyes of all the people. So they were all in agreement with this thing. So David gathered all Israel together from Sihor of Egypt, even unto the entering of Hemeth, to the, uh, bring the ark of God from Kirjath-Jerim. And David went up, and all Israel to Bela, that is Kirjath-Jerim, which belongeth to Judah, to bring up thence the ark of God, the Lord that dwelleth between the cherubims, whose name is called Anin. And they carried the ark of God in a new cart out of the house of Abinadab, and Uzzah and Ohio drave the cart. And David and all Israel played before God. This was a celebration. I mean, they were so 
excited here about doing something for God that they've got the ark now and they are celebrating the fact that they are taking it back uh, to its rightful place. And it says here, and David and all Israel played before God with all their might and with singing and with harps and psalteries and timbrels and cymbals and with trumpets. And they came onto the threshing floor of Kidon. Uzzah put forth his hand to hold the ark, for the ox stumbled. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah, and he smote him, because he put his hand to the ark, and there he died before God. And David was displeased. He's frustrated at this thing because he has uh, tried to, he led the people, he's taken this before the people, he's got them to go along with them 100%. And now one of these guys that have agreed to this is dead as a result of this. And David was displeased because the Lord made a breach upon Uzzah, wherefore the place is called Pyrrhus Uzzah to this day. And then watch verse 12. And David was afraid of God that day, saying, How shall I bring the ark of God home to me? Verse 13 says, So David brought not the ark home to himself to the city of David, but carried it aside into the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite. And the ark of God remained with the family of Obed-Edom in his house three months. And the Lord blessed the house of Obed and all that he had. Father, thank you, Lord, for this morning. Thank you for these fine people. Lord, we thank you for your word. I pray, God, that you would just open it up to us, that we may behold uh, wondrous things in it here this morning. Lord, just show us what you want to accomplish through your word with us this morning. And Father, we'll give you the praise in Jesus' precious name. Amen. You know, years ago when I first got saved at 15 years old, I was saved in, in, uh, in the suburb of Detroit, Michigan. I was raised in Detroit, Michigan, born and raised there, and stayed there for 19 years and went off to college. Uh, then I, I pastored in Tennessee for about 10 years and moved to Montana, uh, where, I, where I've worked as, I worked as a deputy uh, in our community. In fact, I'm still working as a uh, part-time relief deputy after 35 years there, and I also pastored. So I was basically uh, kind of a person that pastored, and I, I was a mixture of law and grace, people told me. And so uh, I did that for the last 35 years, and I still, um, out to help, I still do transports around the state. I bail up all the district court trials in our particular county, still up there in court on Fridays when we have uh, prisoners going up. Uh, just to supply secu security for the judge. And I don't know if any of you folks had a chance to watch Dateline uh, this past Friday night about one of our deputies that was killed back in 2017. His name was Mason Moore. Uh, he was one of our guys, and he was ambushed by uh, two guys going out towards Three Forks, and just past Three Forks, he was ambushed by them. He was killed uh, almost immediately. He was actually, they shot him. They went by him at over 100 miles per hour. And uh, when he turned his top lights on, uh, they begin, uh, he began a high-speed chase after them. They began to fire an AK-47 back. Uh, several of the bullets came through the front window. One struck Mason right here above his vest and went down and ricocheted off the spine, went through his one lung, and paralyzed him. And his vehicle went off the road, and my son was the captain there at that point as well, but paralyzed him. And uh, he's in the barrel pit. And if you've seen the Dateline, which they showed a lot of different things, but he was actually keying his mic, but he could not speak. And our dispatcher continued to do 904 checks on him, but he was keying his mic, and 
but he could not speak. Well, the perpetrators went up, and then about five minutes later, they came back, and they seen him down there, and they went up just and just riddled him from head down the side of him and made sure that he was absolutely dead, which started a high-speed chase, which, all, which took several different agencies and officers almost a little bit past Rocker, uh, right outside Missoula, where they finally put down tax strips and stopped him and his son, uh, who was the actual uh, shooter that killed Mason. Uh, he was killed on the spot there, died three days later in the hospital. And the other man, which was his father, uh, who had just got out of prison in California after 13 years for shooting down a California Highway Patrol helicopter. He and his other son, who got 25 years. So it's just a, a family that uh, you could be aware of there. But it was a very interesting story, and I thought they did a good job of putting all the pieces together within a two-hour period. But that was a, a very difficult time because a friend of us was a higher patrolman, and his son, who became a higher patrolman, was just two or three years past that, uh, was, was put in our particular area. I worked with this patrolman many times, and uh, he did a, a stop on a 901 stop on an individual, and the guy got out with a shotgun, and, and he got away from his vehicle too far. They still use it as a training video at the academy. And when the shotgun hit this particular high patrolman, it hit his belt. And as a result, all of his gear fell down. And, uh, and then the guy came around and shot him in his vehicle, but he was able to get out a couple times. But uh, his name was David DeLake. And I knew his father. He was a, uh, he was a high patrol for 10 years when I was working the streets, and him and I would back each other up. So we've had some different people in our areas. But all I can say is that that's kind of my history. I've pastored. I've been in the law enforcement field. Um, I understand different things, how people look at different things. But in this particular case, here's David. And, uh, and I said I got saved when I was 15, and I read my Bible through for the first time when I was 15 years old. And I remember getting to this story, and I thought, my goodness, why is God killing this person? All he's trying to do is to keep this ark from stumbling, and God gets upset, and God kills him. In fact, the first time I read my Bible through that, I had lots of questions of why God did that. I remember when they went into the land of Canaan, and they were wiping out everybody. I mean, just killing them, just genocide, slaughter. I remember going back to my youth department and my youth director saying, man, why, why is God doing this, you know? Well, I've read my Bible through over 200 times now, and I, I understand why God has done these things now, but I sure didn't understand it back then. And in the book here, you're going to see some things that help you understand why God did this. And so the first thing is this. When your plans go against God's plans, and that's what's happening here, David has a plan to get the ark back and to take it to back to Jerusalem, and put it where it rightfully belongs there. And he had a plan, but we find here that his plan is going against God's plan because he's going to do things in not the right way. And we'll show you that in this particular chapter. Now, first of all, when your will goes contrary to God's will, the first thing you should do in your life is stop. When your will goes contrary to God's will, the very first thing you should do in your life is stop. Now, I can tell you as a law enforcement officer, stopping goes against our nature as people. Amen? Uh, we are people of motion. I did a message one time to a bunch of inmates up in prison, and I also did it to our church. I just, the Bible talks about the path of life. 
in the book of Proverbs there. And so I just took all the different stop signs that are out there, and I used that to make a message. And I start with the stop sign. And I say, you know, that is a sign that most people will do a California stop. They'll come down from 20 miles an hour to 15 miles an hour to 5 miles an hour. They'll see that red stop sign, you know, and they'll look to their right. They'll look to their left. Nothing's coming. And so they'll just kind of breeze on through. They will not come to a dead stop because we are such people of motion there. And so you have a lot of people do that. And when it comes even to God's will, when something is going against God's will and we can see God trying to put a stop sign up in front of us, they say, whoa, don't go a step further. We're still trying to push the envelope there. Uh, you know, another one I talked about then was just the, the yield sign and how so many people will uh, have a hard time yielding and lots of wrecks and accidents take a place of someone failing uh, to yield to the other driver there. And you'll find the same thing in your Christian life that there's a lot of people that will not yield their life unto Lord Jesus Christ and say, Lord, as Jesus said, not my will, but thy will be done. Uh, we have a particular sign in our community that says deaf and blind child. What's that supposed to represent to you? That you've got some children that are deaf, they cannot hear. You've got some people that are blind, they cannot see. And it's your responsibility to be watching out for them. It's not their responsibility to be watching out for you. I mean, can you equate that as a Christian life? We've got a bunch of people that the Bible says are blind and they cannot see the glorious gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Satan has blinded the minds of these people. And we have to be so conscientious of this when dealing with them. Because what we can see, they cannot see. What we can hear, they cannot hear. I mean, Satan has just kind of muffled their ears and blinded their eyes. And we need to take time to take the responsibility to give them the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. But the Bible says throughout the word of God, even when Moses was at the Red Sea, and he's seeing the Red Sea, and he's got the Egyptian behind him, several times in the Bible you see this particular phrase, be still, like Psalm 46, verse 10, be still and know that I am God. So when your will goes contrary to the Lord's will and he stops you, just be still and allow the Lord to show you why he's put that stop sign into your life. And you don't move until you know exactly what to do. Now look over here in First Chronicles chapter 13. When David said, listen, we're not going any further, he dropped the ark off at Obed-Edom's house there, and it stayed there. I mean, it didn't stay there for a day. It didn't stay there for a week. It didn't stay there for just a month. I mean, David was not going to push through. He was not going to risk the life of someone else until he found out why God allowed this to happen. And that's so important in our lives that when God stops us, that we will stay in that position until God shows us that we're able to move again with his blessings upon our life. And so he says here down there in verse number 14, and, and the ark of God remained with the family of Obed-Edom in his house three months, and the Lord blessed the house of Obed-Edom all that he had. I mean, David just was not going to move until he was absolutely sure that he was not going to put another person in danger in getting that ark back to where it belonged. Now, the third thing I want you to see is this. 
when God stops you and you're in this waiting period in your life, how are you going to know what God wants you to know unless you're going to search the scriptures? Listen, whenever God stops you from something and something bad happens as a result of your will going contrary to God's will, you need to stop there. You need to wait there and yield unto God and say, Lord, not my will, but thy will be done. And then you need to search the scriptures to find out what God wants you to do. And that's exactly what David did. He began to search the scriptures. Now look over here in chapter 15, because in chapter 15, things are going to change in David's life. And we see here in chapter 15, and verse number 1 and 2, it says this, And David made him houses in the city of the David, and prepared a place for the ark of God, and pitched it for a tent. Now, David has searched the scriptures all through chapter 14, and the scriptures have taken him back to the book of Numbers, chapter 7. If you go back to the book of Numbers sometime today or tomorrow, and read Numbers, chapter 7, verses 1 through 9, it will give you the instructions of the people that were supposed to move the ark, and not just who was supposed to move the ark, but in the manner in which it was to be moved. And so David has failed in a couple different ways. He's got the wrong people moving the ark, and then also not only the wrong people moving the ark, but you got the wrong people moving the ark in a manner in which God never designed it to be moved. So all, immediately David is coming to the senses here, and God is showing him what has went wrong. And he says, then David said, none ought to carry the ark of God but the Levites. So that's one of the first problems. They had wrong people carrying the ark of God here to the place that was supposed to go. And Uzzah touches that thing. He was not supposed to touch it. Read the same chapter. And immediately God killed him. All right. So we see this. And it says, then David None ought, David said, none ought to carry the ark of God, but the Levites, for them hath the Lord chosen to carry the ark of God. And it was not just all the Levites, it was the sons of Kohath that were chosen to move that ark of God. There were certain people that would move the tabernacle. There were certain people that moved different furniture. There were certain uh, things of that nature. Each one of those groups of the sons of Levi they were given different, if you read your Bible, they were given different amounts of wagons. This guy would have so many wagons to move the tabernacle. This guy would have so many wagons to move this. But when it came to moving the ark, there were no wagons involved. We've got a situation here where David is moving the ark on a new cart that's hooked up to, to, to some milch kind. And where he got that idea was from who? The Philistines. So what has happened here is this. David is using a worldly method to accomplish what God wants to be done in a spiritual method. And what's happening in churches all across America, we are adopting worldly methods and we are adopting worldly philosophies, and we're bringing them into our churches all across America and asking God to accomplish what he wants to accomplish in his way through worldly methods and worldly philosophies and worldly cultures. 
That new cart was designed, it was given to him. The Philistines said to their high priest, how should we move the ark? And they said, put it on a new cart and, and hook up to it two milch kine. And I'm telling you what, that was the wrong way to do it. Because when you look at Numbers chapter 7, that thing was never to be moved upon a wagon, was never to be moved upon, and Numbers 4 as well, never to be moved upon a cart. That thing had rings in it. And it had staves that they would put through those rings. And those guys would put that thing between them, and they would carry that thing upon what? Their shoulders. Absolutely. And so here you got two things that went wrong really quickly. you got the wrong people that's handling the ark of God here. And on top of that, they're carrying it with a, with a new cart where it should have been carried upon their shoulders with the staves there. And God said, listen, I'm not going to have this. The people were rejoicing about something that was not in God's way. And boy, you see that in the scripture there. So look back for a moment in the book of Numbers. Just go back to Numbers chapter 7 real quickly. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. And you'll see that in the book of Numbers chapter 4. You'll see it in the book of Numbers chapter 7 there about how to move that ark there. It's just an interesting thing as you start to read through your Bible there about that. But Numbers uh, chapter 7. And um, look at Numbers chapter 4 verse 15 real quickly. And we'll go to number 7. Numbers 4.15, and when Aaron and his sons had made an end of covering the sanctuary and all the vessels of the sanctuary as the camp was set forth for it, after that the sons of Kohath shall come to bear it, talk about the uh, ark here, but they shall not touch any holy thing. They were not touch it, lest they die. These things are the burden of the sons of Kohath in the tabernacle of the congregation. Now look over in chapter 7 for a moment and watch what it says here about these wagons. Verse 1, it came to pass on the day that Moses had fully set up the tabernacle and had anointed it and sanctified it and all the in instruments thereof, both the altar and all the vessels thereof, and had anointed them and sanctified them, that the princes of Israel, heads of the house of their fathers, who were the princes of the tribes and were over them, that were numbered offered. And they brought their offerings before the Lord, six covered wagons and twelve oxen, a wagon for, the two, for two of the princes, and for each one an ox, and they brought them before the tabernacle. Now watch what happens here. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Take it of them, that they may be to do the service of the tabernacle of the congregation. Thou shalt give them according unto the Levites, to every man according to his service. And Moses took the wagons and the oxen and gave them unto the Levites. Two wagons and four oxen he gave unto the sons of Gershom according to their service, what they had to carry. You know, when you carry less, you only need two wagons. Carry more, you're going to need more wagons. And four wagons and eight oxen he gave unto the sons of Mariah, according to their service, unto the hand of Ithamar, the son of Aaron, the priest. Watch verse 9, though. But unto the sons of Kohath he gave none. No wagons, these guys. And because the service of the sanctuary belonging unto them, that, that they should bear upon what? Their shoulders. I, I'm telling you. This thing is all wrong. David has the right idea, but he's using it, but he's carrying or trying to carry it out by the wrong method. And boy, that method is going to cost Uzzah his life and cause David to get frustrated at God and even to come to a place that he would fear him. So what happened to David, he began to search the scriptures. 
And once he began to search the scriptures immediately, he was taken back to Numbers chapter 4, taken back to Numbers chapter 7, and all of a sudden he sees it. He sees it. And, and as a result of seeing it, the next thing he does is he confesses it. It's one thing to say that you see something in your life. It's another thing to confess it and repent of that particular thing. And that's what David does because he is a man after God's own heart. He wants to do this the right way. He wants to do it God's way. He sees that he is fouled up there, that these guys have never should have been uh, touching that ark. These guys have it never should have even been upon that new cart whatsoever. That was of the Philistines' idea. It was a worldly method of transporting it, not God's method there. And so he just began to confess that thing and, and, and tell the Lord how sorry he was about that. Look down here in 1 Chronicles 15, and look down at verse number 12. And said unto them, Ye are the chief of the fathers of the Levites. Sanctify yourselves, both ye and your brethren, that we may bring up the ark of the Lord God of Israel unto the place that I have prepared for it. For because ye did it not at the first, the Lord our God made a breach upon us, for we sought him not after the due order. Let me say something to you. God has a due order for everything in life. He's got a due order for your life. He's got a due order for my life. He's got a due order for this church. And you find that due order by searching the scriptures. David says in Psalm chapter 119 that the Lord is going to order his steps according to what? His word. If you want to find out what God wants you to do, the order, the due order in which God wants you to do, you have to allow God to order your steps through this book. And if you don't search the scriptures, you're never going to know God's due order and you're going to find yourself in one mess after another mess and frustrated with God, even mad at God at times, because you just don't understand God's ways from your ways. Boy, it's amazing. So allow God just to order your steps. He confesses his sin. Now watch verse 14. So the priests and the Levites sanctify themselves. They set themselves apart to bring up the ark of the Lord God of Israel. And the children of the Levites bear the ark of God upon their shoulders with the staves. There's the staves. They're on. And Moses commanded, as Moses commanded, according to the word of the Lord. So right now, everything is being done in due order. I mean, that ark is on their shoulders. It's being carried by the Levites. Everything is exactly how God wants it to be. And that's what you want in your life. You want your life to be exactly what God wants it to be. That's what you want here at this church. You want it to be exactly what God wants it to be. And they are now in due order. God is directing their steps by the words of God. And as a result of that, watch what happens. They begin to rejoice again. I mean, David has not rejoiced for three months. When they first took off, they were singing, they were rejoicing, they were, I mean, they were having a great time. Listen, we're getting the ark back, but all of a sudden, Uzzah's dead. David is confused, he's frustrated, he's mad, he's angry, he's afraid of God. He said, listen, guys, this thing's going to stay put until I get a word from God. You talk about God slamming the door, God slammed the door. 
basically because they were trying to use worldly methods to accomplish godly goals. And boy, that's important to see that. But rejoicing took place. And we see that down here in verse number 16. Watch verse 16. And David spake to the chief of the Levites to appoint their brethren to, the, to be the singers with instruments of music and psaltery and harps and cymbals and sounding by lifting up the voice with joy. He said, okay, guys, we're getting this whole thing back together again. We got God's word on this thing. We're in due order now. I know God's going to bless this thing. And I'll tell you what, when he stated that, the people went out there, and here comes the singers. Here comes the musicians there. Here comes the harps. Here comes the cymbals. I mean, they are lifting up their, their voice with joy because they know at this point that their will is now completely running consistent with God's will. And when, you're, when your will runs consistent with God's will, he will open the door for you or shut the door, but you will know that it's God doing it. Amen? Now, watch what happens. Look at verse 26, because you see, as it came to pass, verse number 26, now, verse 25 first, And David and the elders of Israel and the captains over thousands went to bring up the ark of the covenant of the Lord out of the house of Obed-Edom with what? Joy. Joy. I'll tell you what, there's joy in their hearts now. There's joy in their life now. There's joy in their voices now. There's joy in their spirit now. There's joy in their soul now. I mean, they are just overwhelmed with joy. Like Nehemiah said, the joy of the Lord is my strength. What's the difference here? Two verses will show you the difference. Verse 25 again, it says this. So David and the elders of, the, of Israel and the captains over thousands went to bring up the ark of the covenant of the Lord out of the house of Edom, Obed-Edom, with joy. Now watch verse 26. You ought to put yellow on this particular thing. And it came to pass when God helped the Levites. You see, in the first point, they were doing things completely contrary to what God wanted to do so God couldn't help them. There's a lot of people that are living so contrary as Christians to what God wants them to live, and they're still calling upon God to help them, and they get frustrated when God does not help them. Listen, God's not going to enable you to go against his will. God's not going to enable you to sin. God's not going to enable you. To, and many times that's what we do with people. We enable them to continue in the lifestyle that they're in. David had the door slept. I mean, just completely slammed shut on him because God was not going to enable him to serve him through worldly means and methods. He said, no, I'm not going to have that type of worship. I'm not going to have someone touching my, my ark. I'm not going to have that thing on a new cart that the Philistines, the Anse people, have now set the standard for my worship instead of the words of God. And I'm going to tell you, he says here, verse 26, And it came to pass, when God helped the Levites that bear the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, that they offered seven bullocks and seven rams, and just read the rest of it here, and David was clothed with a robe of fine linen, and all the Levites that bear the Ark, and the singers, and Chenaiah, the master of the song with the singers, and David also had upon him an ephod of linen. Thus all Israel brought up the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord with shouting, 
and with the sound of the cornet and trumpets and cymbals and making noise with psalteries and harps. And it came to pass as the ark of the covenant of the Lord came to the city of David that Michael, the daughter of Saul, looking out the window, saw King Saul, King David dancing. She couldn't enjoy what he was doing there and playing and despised him in her heart. You know what happened to her? She was put in widowhood. David never had another relationship with her because she could not rejoice in what God had just done. You know, it's important that when God is doing something in your life or a, a family member's life or your church's life, that you are there rejoicing with them just as much as they're rejoicing because of what God has done. So when you look at this story, it's hard to understand the first time you read your Bible through, but it all comes down to this. The wrong person touched that ark, and then they were taking it the wrong way from Kerjeth Jerem to the place where David wanted to put it there in Jerusalem. And God said, I'm not going to allow worldly methods and worldly ways to move my ark that is something very, very spiritual and important to the nation of Israel. So what happens when our ways run contrary to God's ways? First of all, just stop. 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 And just wait to what, until God shows you what he wants you to do. How many times do we jump out in front? Most of the worst decisions I've ever made in my life is when I got ahead of God instead of God being ahead of me. Amen? And honestly, think about that. Wait for what God wants to show you. Search the scriptures. Every answer to every question to everything that you have to think about is in this book. If you'll just wait and search it and allow God to open your eyes that, he may, that you may behold wondrous things of his law. Search the scriptures. When God shows you something in your life that's contrary to him, confess that thing. And not just confess it, but forsake that thing. Because Proverbs 27 says, He that covereth his sins shall not, what? Prosper. But he that confesseth and forsaketh them shall find mercy with God. That's what David did. I mean, when he seen that thing, he confessed it, he forsook it, he found mercy with God, and God blessed him as a result of that. What that allowed in David's life was for God to direct and order his steps. That's what you want in your life. You want God to direct and to order your steps. Lord, not my will, but thy will be done. And when that happens, there'll be rejoicing in your heart because God is the one that's helping you. And boy, we need God's help. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Our Father, Lord, I thank you for this morning. I thank you, Lord, for these folks, and Lord, just their attentiveness. Lord, I thank you, Lord, for this story in the Bible because it gives us so many different things to think about, Lord, when our, our will becomes contrary to your will. Even, Lord, when we're trying to do something that we think is right, we think is good, we think is going to please you, if we're trying to do it by the wrong means or the wrong ways or the wrong methods, Lord, Father, you're one of the first ones to say, no, I don't want it that way, and you stop us. Well, Lord, help us just to stay stopped. Help us to yield to you while we're waiting. And Lord, help us to search the scriptures that you may open our eyes that we may see wondrous things out of thy law. And Lord, when that happens, Lord, help us be the first person to not just to see it, but can confess it, Lord, to repent of it, and find mercy with you, Father. Lord, that we may experience that joy again. Lord, it's such a wonderful thing to experience joy again. 
Lord, there's probably not a one of us here that have not been involved in sin at some time in our life, and you've shown us that sin through the Word of God or through preaching or teaching. And Lord, we've confessed it and forsaken it, Lord, and Father, the joy that comes as a result of it. And Lord, we know that it's all because of you. You're the one that helped the Levites. You're the one that, Lord, helped David. You're the one, Lord, that helps us. And Lord, we're so grateful, Lord, for your help. So, Lord, again, I pray, Lord, that you would just use this, Lord. I'm speaking to mostly believers here. There may be someone that does not know you as their personal Savior. Lord, I ask if there is someone here, Father, that does not know you as their personal Savior. Lord, help them to realize how much, Lord, you, Jesus Christ, loves them. And, Lord, that you are willing to go to the cross, that you are willing to take their sin upon you. Father, the Bible says in the book of 2 Corinthians 5, you became sin for us. For those who stole, you became a thief for them. For those that murder someone, you became a murderer for them. For those that blaspheme, you become a blasphemer for them. Lord, you became sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of Jesus Christ if we would just trust you as our personal Savior. So, Lord, I thank you that you are my substitute. I thank you that you paid the price for me. And, Lord, I pray if there's someone here, Father, that has never trusted you as their personal Savior, Lord, help them to understand that as I did as a 15-year-old teenager. And I came forth to the altar that day, and, Father, just told you how much I had sinned, and, Lord, how much I loved you, and I wanted you to come into my heart and save me. And, Lord, you did. You changed my life, and I thank you for that. So, Lord, again, I pray for anyone here today without Jesus, that this will be the day of salvation in their life. And, Lord, I pray for Christians, Lord, that when we are making decisions, that this chapter would be so instrumental to them. I'm sure that David learned so much from this one event. That he, made, he made very, very smart decisions after this. Even when many people believe it was the right thing to do, he wanted to be alone with God and search the Scriptures to make sure that what he was doing was the right, correct thing to do. So, Father, again, just turn this over to Pastor Patrick. I ask that you would just bless this invitation, my Father. In Jesus' name I ask it. Amen.